Welcome to Watershed's December podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove, cinema curator here at Watershed, and this podcast is going to be looking back at the year in cinema. We've still got a bit of December to go, but we'll talk about some of those films that are coming up. And I am delighted to be joined in this look back at the year by Tai Singh, who is one part Bristol Bad Film Club, one part Forbidden Worlds Film Festival, to one part Film Hub Southwest. So welcome, Tai. Thank you. And also by Steph Reed, who is one part MA curation student at University of the West of England and one part cinema assistant. So welcome, Steph. Cheers. So yeah, um, let's look back at, at, at this year uh, in cinema, as I say. I'll start by just giving a, a, a bit of an overview from my perspective, but then we, we can just give us your overview of the year and then we can dig in a bit deeper as to um, the highs and the lows of the year in cinema. First of all, it's the first full year um, that we've had since COVID. So from my side, as somebody who's putting on the film programme here at Watershed, um, it's been a little bit nervous. I would say that looking back, the audience the key thing for me is that audience behaviours have changed. People have spent two years learning how to stream films, learning to love their home and invest in it. And of course, the, the streamers are well aware of that, So, um, and I think it's something that we'll talk about. I mean, as we record this, Glass Onion is on in cinemas for a week. It opens on a Wednesday, closes on the Tuesday, only available for a week before going out on Christmas Day. And um, the usual cinema week is Friday to Thursday. But here's, here's Netflix disrupting <laughs> the, the cinema proposition yet, yet again. But these are all uh, just an illustration of some of the, the changes. Um, the, the other thing is that there were somewhere in the region of 700 films released. Did you, any of you watch the 700? Made a good stab at it. Yeah, good, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I watched anywhere near the amount of films I usually watch a year. Yeah. Maybe it's because just my job working in programming and uh, distribution, but... I feel I kind of let myself down in the film-watching department this year. Well, I think this is the most films and additional content, if you think about the live, you know, national theatres and stuff, that um, there's a huge amount of films um, that are, I think, something like an average of 14 films released a week. Now, I, I can't keep up with them. It's too much, Mark. It's it, too much. There's too many films. There's too many shows I've got to watch. Yep. There's got to watch the English with Emily Blunt. When am I going to find the <laughs> well, time? Well, exactly. To when are you going to find the time for the the series? Exactly. When you, when all these you're PT focusing on cinema. Oh. I know. So if we don't have the time, how does the audience um, have the have the time? Who's coming along uh, to be um, entertained? And I think audience, as I say, in general, audience, I think have behaviour have changed and and. One of the illustrations of that is that people aren't really booking in advance for films. What what I'm seeing is that um, audiences are kind of coming uh, quite last minute to things, which which again makes it a little bit nerve wracking when you're <laughs> when you're looking at the advance advance sales. So that's all kind of really from the the, the business side. I mean, we we've we've um, we budgeted for eighty um, percent less than pre-COVID levels, and we've not. It doesn't look like we're going to hit eighty percent 
um, even. So it's it's tough out there, and I think that will be illustrated when we come to talking through the year because there's been some closures of cinemas, and it's against that environment that we're that that we're talking as well. So what about yourself, Ty? What's what's your year in cinema been like as a overview? It's been an interesting year, I think. There's been, like you said, so many titles. And then when we discussed that we were going to go through you know, our favourite films of the year, I was like, I was hard-pressed to actually think of a film that's really, really stood out. And then when I went through the release list, I was like, there was that film, actually. I really did love that. But I think because of the sheer avalanche of films, it's been really hard to kind of pick them out. Um, I think of the, the big blockbusters that have come out this year, not many of them have stuck in the head. There's one or two. Um, I think in terms of the, the indie releases, there have been so many. I was working on a, a film getting distributed just a couple of weeks ago, and when it came out, it was released along 23 other indie films that week. Was that so Neptune Frost? That was Neptune Frost. Mm-hmm. That came out about five weeks ago now. And yeah, 23 other indie films were coming out mm-hmm. that week. So mm-hmm. it's hard for distributors. Cinemas don't know what to show. They, if Watershed's a three-screen cinema, but if you're a one-screen cinema, it's like, mm. which film do you roll the dice on? Mm. Well, and even with three screens, it's... Yeah. it's and Steph knows this. Uh, <laughs> my, Steph's going to get me a T-shirt with, with the, there's too much stuff. And it's too much stuff. Space. And not enough space. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I've been saying that. I've been saying that all year. Because the, the thing is that when a film, um, a small film, as you mentioned, we, we screened Neptune Frost and we had the directors down... Um, it was a great event, and that's the opening weekend. And I kept it for a few days after, in the next, the second week. Um, and I could have kept it for longer. It had the potential to be kept for longer. But there's all these other films that mm. are jockeying for for um, position and, um, and and getting screen space. And I think one of the issues is that these smaller films, like Neptune Frost, like Return to Dust, like No Bears, mm. um, are, are getting lost. Um, which is, I think, some an issue that actually, as a sector, as the independent cinema sector, and um, we all talk to each other, it is, I think, an issue that we're going to have to really look at and work with distributors. Uh, but Steph, what about your what about your year in cinema? So, ungodly amount of it has been spent in this building, <laughs> but no, it's been great to see so many new releases, and especially spending so much time here and getting to see all the different festivals that we partner on throughout the year has been really interesting whether that's Cinema Rediscovered, so our own, or Playing Host Encounters, or recently Africa Eye. It's been really great to see it, kind of other events created around those as well. Mm. And, you know, like DJ sets and live music in the cafe bar as well. Because that was something that you did for your own uh, project. Yeah, I brought some... Out of Arcadia, you brought some, some musicians and <laughs> lots of interesting instruments into Cinema One. Yeah. yeah. And how was the... Because um, you were doing it from both sides as a, as, as a student um, and also as cinema assistant how how did the um how did the placement work for you very well good <laughs> no it's been great um i've really enjoyed it and it's been so interesting to like shadow you for a year and see what's actually goes on in the programming of a cinema because it's something that you know it's a role that's not too clear from the outside of all the different facets of that and a lot of it is like partnership work and it's not just you know we're going to put these films on at this time. <laughs> of yeah. course I was going to say, tell me what I do, please. <laughs> please, <laughs> <Write explain. it laughs> please explain. Yeah. Um, and I think it has been, uh, as, as Ty's uh, mentioned, you know, it has been a tricky year in trying to keep 
the space for those smaller films. I think actually another thing I would say in terms of that overview is that um, in my experience of which goes back nearly 30 years now can't quite believe that but is is that um, there's a bigger gulf that's happened between those films that make money um, and everything else um, now it's it's in the big the big hitters that you mentioned um, I mean Top Gun Maverick is was the kind of key film um, but there's like three or four films that make all the money <laughs> um, when you see the box office figures for the year um, there's three or four films that are really making that money and then all the 696 um, are, are taking that small small percentage, that five percent. So it's really it's really tough. But there's a bigger gulf. I, I feel even between the Banshees of Inisherin, which was probably one of our most successful films, um, uh, and everything else. So let's go back to the beginning. The award season this year. Yeah. How how was that? This year has felt so long. I'm I'm mm. now struggling to remember what won the Oscars. This well, year. Um, so it was Coda. Of course, it was. was that this yeah, yeah. Oh my. See, yeah, th yeah. this is the thing. Well, Coda. Is, yeah, I thought yeah. Titan came out this year. I was going to put Boxing this Day. on my list. Boxing and Day then last year. Ty corrected me. I can't believe it's been a year since that. But mm. Coda, yes. I think this is this shows how the landscape's changed since COVID. That was an Apple TV release. I can't even remember if it got a limited theatrical release. It got a release. week theatrical release, I think, yeah. into cinemas. I watched it with my wife at home. It was a very nice Friday night film. Yeah. And I clearly have forgotten everything about it until you re <laughs> mentioned it to me. But it was it was it was good. But But not not the traditional It's not the traditional, not the traditional Oscar theatrical, you know, no. the, the Oscar winners are often burned into my head because I remember watching them at the cinema and yeah, I think there is a definite break if you just watch something on the sofa. Mm. I remember watching Parasite here and then, you know, the yeah. kind of buzz about that when it won the Oscar. But I think because of the whole COVID situation, uh, yeah, Coda and its Oscar yeah, win it's have got, completely got, slipped yeah, from my brain. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's also the, the relationship with the streamers. Um, and it's interesting with, I know uh, Glass Onions are completely different um Thing than Coda, but it's interesting that Glass Onions only getting a week release mm. into cinemas, mm. and you wonder what that does um, for a film's presence and you know um, audiences' feelings about it when it comes to the sort of award season. Um, it kind of gets a bit lost, you know. I think the the big theatrical campaigns for films don't seem to sort of exist necessarily. This the is same what way. happened with The Irishman. They released it in cinemas for a week. Mm. Mm. Did it find its audience on Netflix? Netflix would never tell us. And then when it came to awards season, it didn't. Overlooked a bit. It did get mm. overlooked. So the, the another um, sort of larger film was, of course, uh, Kenneth Branagh's Belfast, which was in that um, period. Um, winner of some of the Baftas, it won uh, an Oscar, um, and that actually uh, I think performed well. It did perform really well for us. Um, it played really well in cinemas. Um, Nightmare Alley yep. mm -hmm. was a was a film opening at that time. Guillermo del Toro's. I, I thought it was a fantastic um, film, all set in that carnival. Um, really, I, I really really enjoyed it, but it it just didn't register much at the box office. 
No, and I think also the fact that I think it was a Fox acquisition from Disney, or did Disney originally put it out? But it seemed to come out on Disney Plus very quickly mm. after. And I don't know whether, despite the star power in the film, it was viewed as maybe a bit long, maybe a bit niche for general audiences, which is weird considering it's Guillermo oh. del Toro. Mm. Yeah. But then the same thing's happening with Pinocchio this year. It's Guillermo del Toro. It's Pinocchio, but at the same it's time, isn't this the third Pinocchio film we've seen in like a couple of years mm. and then it's just going to drop on Netflix in a couple of weeks yeah and I think again illustrating how things have changed um, I actually uh, remember saying at some point in this year that I used to have a compass in the cinema world and I kind of roughly knew where North was and all the other points and I feel as though somebody's put a magnet underneath the compass. It's and, 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 and spinning it around. Because you can't, you know, it's, it is a bit like all bets are all. I think it's got a bit more settled later in the year. I think at the beginning of the year, yeah, Belfast um, was great. And of course, the big franchises. I mean, everybody, um, you know, knows how, how you know, they're going to play, whether they perform to the, the, the figures, um, although, you know, Top Gun definitely did. Um, but. It's 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 in the kind of indie market that I think we're in. It's really I think it's got settled a bit more settled later in the year with, as I said, Banshees of Inisherin, with um, Living, Decision to Leave, Triangle of Sadness, all felt like really strong films when I certainly saw them at festivals. A bit like you were mentioning Parasite. When I saw that, I thought, oh, that's that'll, that'll work. Mm -hmm. um, similarly with Triangle of Sadness, could have done with twenty minutes shorter. Yeah. I don't uh, agree. <laughs> consensus on that one um, but I knew it was going to perform well and it, it did and what was great was there was a younger audience that was coming to see that um, which was which was really good so it feels like it got a bit it's got a bit more certainly my compass has got a bit more orientated towards <laughs> towards the end of the year but going back to the to the sort of um, parallel mothers Pedro Almodovar <coughs> film um memoria yeah, Memoria. Um, Which I loved. <laughs> Don't laugh, Ty. <laughs> something for everyone. Film. Something for everyone. That's what cinema's all about, is something for everyone. Maybe when we come to the top t uh, lists, is that yeah. going to feature? We fight about Memoria then. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then in terms of the kind of uh, wider releases going through... I'd be interested to kind of hear what you think. Or It was weird that kind of Top Gun Maverick, it did so well, but before its release... Almost like the buzz around Avatar 2, there was lots of kind of, is anyone actually going to come mm. see this? But then it's the whole, Tom Cruise and the actors did all this for real. And you say this about Tom Cruise and James Cameron, they know how to sell their products. And I think that's going to be the thing that people will go out to see Avatar 2 for. Mm. Whereas the other big blockbusters, your numerous Marvel films, your Jurassic World Dominion, they might have made money but I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone that was actually excited by them or really came away impressed by them. But people went to go see Top Gun Maverick again and again. And another film that I thought had legs over the summer was Elvis. That seemed to be getting a lot of repeat business. And while it seemed to be critically divisive at first... It seemed audiences kept coming and coming to go see Elvis. That's interesting because... it. it I was going to say with that 
with Elvis that um, it didn't perform well for us. Interesting. Um, so I don't know if it, if it was in the more commercial market. I think from a box office point of view, it's done. It's done well at the box office. Very off. well, yeah. 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 And But that was one where they're like, is anyone going to go see this very long film about Elvis Presley these days in 2022? And it, it I think it's done really well. And it was just yeah. another word of mouth not a big opening weekend, but just repeat business. Yeah, it didn't it didn't play for us um, at all. I was really that was that was one where the compass went completely mm-hmm. because I thought Baz Luhrmann, Elvis, you know Tom Hanks, you know can screening of a big lot of splash around it. I, you know Moulin Rouge director. I thought it would play well. So not to be too young, but I remember doubting at the time because I was like, "Cousin Elvis lost his cultural cachet a little bit." Isn't that's he a bit that's what people were saying, but yeah. audiences I, clearly turned out. Yeah. I, was, yeah. I went to go see it. I Same. Was very excited. I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, it's it's it really confused me because I thought I was expecting a kind of. I'm not a fan of Baz Luhrmann's filmmaking. Mm. Um, I do find it like it's, I describe it as like a bomb going off, an explosion going off that never ends. <laughs> Um, and it, 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 it's it's great because of that yeah. you know I mean there's a lot of technique in it that's going but I was just like oh give it a, calm down calm down <laughs> and and I actually, anyway I mean I would rather have watched the documentary on Elvis but hey um, that's just that's just me um, but yeah that just did not for us which is interesting and I, I as I say I think it's taken whilst as you say Steph films like um, you know Memoria um, you, you know just looking through Petrov's Flu mm. for example um, these really great uh, world cinema pieces of world cinema, um, Casablanca Beats mm-hmm. uh, was a film that I I thought would play well for us. But it's such a crowded marketplace. All those films were coming out yeah. against, you know, other well-regarded indie titles in a very mm. crowded marketplace. So Casablanca Beats, I feel like four years ago that would have got a little bit of time in the sun before you know it it was out of cinemas cinemas did like one or two screenings of it and it was gone yeah I think this um, speaks to this change I think that's happened in uh, cinema this year and the difference between um, pre-covid and sort of post-covid is that um, you know those kind of what you'd think would be quite solid art house directors um, Francois Ozon um, everything went fine which I thought was a uh, a really strong film about a difficult subject matter, about, you know, end of life, done in a really light-touch way, um, some great comedy, some real um, emotion around it, about a subject that when Michael Haneke ta- tackled it with Amour, it was a f- phenomenal hit. Mm. And I just felt with that mixture of comedy, as I say, light-touch, it would have done well. And it just didn't register. Um, and this was something that, I mean, Terence Davis, Benediction, uh, again, I thought it was a really interesting film, you know, about subjects that is are known in the you know British um, the, the the war poets. And again, I thought that would have uh, worked well, but didn't really register. Um, and then the the one at that time of year, early early on, the first half of the year, of course, was Paul Verhoeven's Benedetta. Mm-hmm. I think um, we all thought, well, I certainly thought, hey. This is Paul Verhoeven in a in a, in a nunnery, um, you know, medieval times. Literally um, causing a riot in a nunnery. <laughs> causing a riot in the yeah. nunnery. I thought, what's what's not to like and what's not to get audiences? But on the counter side of that, you had worst person in the world breaking through mm. to great box office acclaim. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. Which and boiling were, point as well. Boiling point. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's focus on the, the, the good news stories. Yeah. <laughs> so through through the year, there were those, the, the, the more um, traditional names didn't work, but actually there were films that came from kind of smaller places. Uh, boiling point, as you say, at the beginning of the year, single take in a kitchen with a stressful chef mm. and, and owner Stephen Graham, always brilliant, um, really took off. I mean, from a standing start at the mm. beginning of January, we, I think we played it for um, a good few weeks. I was honestly surprised that Boiling Point and Worst Person in the World did as well as they did, yeah. simply because, like you, I'm not sure what's 100% going to appeal to audiences, and those films kind of felt very much like the it's a compelling premise, I'll wait till it's on X platform and watch mm. it at home. Whereas everything, everywhere, all at once, it's like, oh, I've got to go see that on a big screen. That is theatrical mm. spectacle. Um, so yeah, I was. it was very refreshing to see Boiling Point and Worst Person mm. in the World do as mm. well as they did when so many other indie titles had kind of fallen by the wayside. Um, but I think the the overwhelmingly positive review from critics on both those titles I think really helped mm. um, yeah I was really pleased with uh, Worst Person in the World um, which like you I didn't think um, I was surprised pleasantly surprised that this sort of came I mean it's, it's a it's a really strong film about you know relationships and the, um, the strong female character and I think that um, I think it, it spoke to that kind of age group audience and there was a sort of strong word of mouth on it um, but to, I think we played it for about 12 weeks or something mm-hmm. um, uh, so there was a really yeah that was a great response um, but the, the other film um, oh Everything Everywhere All at Once let's let's talk about that for a, for a minute shall we it's great you, you're a big fan of it Ty will it, will it feature in your top um, films of the year it will it will yeah um, and, and you, Steph, <laughs> you, you, you're going to argue about it. A little, <laughs> a little tiresome, but I agree that it was worth seeing on the big screen for the kind of spectacle of it, but um, not quite my cup of tea. That's fine. <laughs> but I think in terms of indie releases, it's A24's most profitable release ever, yeah. considering mm. the titles that they've put out to great uh, well, box office claim. That's refreshing to see. Tie. Compared to X, <laughs> well, th- that they put out, shall we talk talk about that's the that's the flip that's the flip that's side the flip of every, side, of, everything, yeah. of everything everywhere. I mean, I guess if you've got something that works like everything everywhere, then you you can you roll can, the dice. You can on take on you X. can take the hit on X, yeah. which which played it at South by Southwest to great acclaim there, great reviews. Um, came out into the, the theatrical market in the UK with no. I mean, there was just nothing to, to, mm. that was promoted about it. It did it, have the buzz, but I think because of a result of it doing poorly, they haven't even released the follow-up that they shot. I think they're more confident with the follow-up, which okay. I've seen. Well, um, I, yeah, yeah. I, and and really liked it. And I think that I think they're, they're getting year, more yeah. behind that for for next year. That's certainly one, to, which is the origin story of X. So maybe maybe re-release X. Um, <laughs> Double uh, bit. Yeah. After that, yeah, yeah. But the other um, surprise of the year, R, R, R. Yep. <laughs> Definitely in my top five yep. of the year. And so what happened with that then, Tayu? I know you're a great advocate of 
East Asian Asian cinema mm. action films. What I was fascinated by this is we've had big Indian films come to UK cinemas, and they they come and they go, despite you know, and they have bigger stars in it. Your your Shah Rukh Khan's, your Amir Khan's, but RRR is is not a Bollywood film. It's a South Indian film. It's a Tamil film. It's a Tollywood film, and with relative unknown actors, it not only had a storming week here when it was released in the UK, but it kept coming back and coming back. And even in the US, they had a uh, an encore or an encore RRR, core re-release <laughs> of the of film. Of course they did. <laughs> because I think post-COVID, it gave people a spectacle. It gave mm. them emotional catharsis. It gave them joy to a certain extent. It had everything that you kind of want from the cinema and if you've never seen an Indian film there were all these reviews just going you have to see this as soon as possible on the biggest screen you can which I think really helped sell it because often if you see Indian popular cinema yeah. you, people think oh it's a huge area where do you start yeah. and this RRR sort of gave a well this is an entry point it's isn't an it? entry point it's yeah. there's only one dance scene for one yeah. sure it might be three hours long but you get one dance scene <laughs> Uh, and you get more action in it yeah. than you do in a dozen Marvel yeah. films and uh, more inventive action mm. as well. You don't see anyone punching a tiger and then throwing it into a regiment of British troops in a, a Marvel film. Mm. But, yeah. And, and let's talk of the, for the awards next year. I mean, I'd be surprised if that happens. I'd like, it would be great to see some sort of recognition mm. for it um, because in very much... Uh, in the same way the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon mm. opened the doors to um, films like Hero getting a bigger re-release and being an entry point for people into Hong Kong martial arts cinema. I hope RRR does the same. And you've got Pathan that comes out next year, which is going to be another big um, Indian film, although mm. this one's going to be Bollywood. So hopefully it will kind of ride that wave and more people will go see it as a result and uh, these films will kind of get mm. a, a wider audience because I've seen many people coming out of RRR going, I had no idea that Indian cinema was so much fun because you think of Indian cinema and you kind of either think of something like The Lunchbox, mm. you know, very understated, mm. or you think of the full-on colourful dance number spectacular mm. which doesn't appeal to some people, but I think RRR really nailed it. And you screened it um, at the newly converted IMAX. Well, Dave, Dave did. Um, Dave did. So Dave of 20th Century Flicks. So when it came out in March, I took a couple of friends to see it. And then I was telling everyone they had to go see it. And all these people ignored me and went to go see Morbius <laughs> instead, like the fools that they are. And then when all the critic reviews and everything was coming out... Um, it was, it was too late. There wasn't anywhere showing it. And Netflix was going, put it out, but it was the Hindi version and not the original language mm. uh, Tamil version. So Dave realized that a lot of people had missed it, missed the boat on it, would want to see it on the biggest screen possible. So mm. he did a one-off screening on the former IMAX screen here in Bristol. And yeah, I think there were like 180 people Brilliant. came out for it and lots of cheering lots of cheering yeah. great lots yeah, of applause it. yeah. it's it's exactly what you want from the theatrical experience yeah. Yeah, yeah. an incredibly engaged audience 
Uh, I believe Dave did get an email from one audience member who was not <laughs> expecting such a level of audience <laughs> engagement <laughs> and cheering and said he was quite perturbed by it. But, hey, that is one from 180. Um, but So, yes, I, I think, yeah, it was great. It was great. So tell us about the, the, the IMAX then. This is, this is Bristol's had an IMAX for... I don't know now, but 15 or so, maybe more years, there was oh, an IMAX, yeah. IMAX screen um, built, but it's not been used. But you um, and other uh, cinephiles have been repurposing it. Mm. So, yes, it's been there as part of Bristol Aquarium for years now, uh, only being used for kind of edu educational talks by the aquarium. And the equipment's just kind of been left there since the IMAX cinema show shut down from showing theatrical uh, features which I believe was in 2006 with Wolfgang Peterson's Poseidon being the last film that was shown theatrically there so for a long time I've wanted to launch a genre film festival in Bristol and we were looking for a venue to do that and Dave suggested the aquarium because we didn't know if they still had the equipment there we walked into the auditorium and it was all still there, but they had not turned on the equipment in over a decade. So we, we found the former projection team. We rebooted up the sound system. We brought in a 2K projector that fills the screen comfortably. There's still a little bit of wiggle room. Because this, is the, this is the issue, isn't it? Yep. With IMAX, it's a huge screen. It's a so huge it's screen. Just kind of managing that. 18 metres by 15 metres. Yeah. So I think we've got about two meters space on each side but we're working at the moment to get a new lens and to change that at the moment but it, you're still watching a, a massive screen mm. and with the lights out in there it's pitch black you do not notice at all um, so we launched the Forbidden World Film Festival uh, in May this year which is Bristol's first repertory sci-fi action horror fantasy film festival we launched our first festival to kind of celebrate 40 years of 20th century flicks and put ourselves in the programming box of all the titles had to be from 1982. Mm. So we had a selection of nice big popular ones like Blade Runner and Mad Max 2 and Poltergeist so that we could also get away with showing some really mm. weird, obscure stuff like Thrilling Bloody Sword and Basket Case mm. and The Challenge with uh, Scott Glenn and Shiro Mifune. So that went really well. And now we've got the projector in there full time and other uh, community cinemas in Bristol can use it. Mm. Uh, so Cary Grant Comes Home Film Festival has mm. used it recently. So Bristol's uh, got another screen now. Bristol's got another screen. Yeah. It's another community space. Yeah. Uh, as the Bad Film Club, I, I showed Michael Flatley's Blackbird in well, there. I was, going, I was going to say, I was going to mention that and, sure. and I wondered whether that would be in your top um, films of the year. It would like be Michael in Flatley's my top Blackbird. cinematic experiences of the year, <laughs> but for very was, different reasons. It was certainly that. Um, so yeah, Bristol's now got a new community cinema space and we're going to constantly try and evolve it and keep it going as, uh, as somewhere where film clubs, film festivals can do screenings. We're working mm. with the aquarium to make that as mm. you know affordable as possible, mm. but so they can still make money as well. Mm. Great. And, and Steph, you mentioned festivals throughout the year. Which festivals um, were highlights for you? Well, Cinema Rediscovered, of course. Glad you said that. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Which was really You'll go far with your Emmy. 
um I'd stand out from that was Chess of the Wind for me, the Iranian mm. documentary, which of course not seen before and was just a real standout for me in terms of uh, I've not really engaged that much with Iranian cinema. And since um, later on in the year, Essan came back and presented a series of subversive Iranian documentaries mm. at the Cube, which was also a brilliant evening of you know things that you just wouldn't be able to find elsewhere. Um, and to watch those on the big screen is such a rare opportunity. Well, I think that, I mean. So yeah, for me, Cinema Rediscovered was great this year because it was back in the building. Mm. Um, and I think um, that we've mentioned earlier, just about festivals and just that experience of audiences being back together. Um, I remember uh, people saying to me, uh, you know, because we dabbled with um, doing stuff online um, through the website and or you can mm. put these films online. And when you, you when you when I was at Cinema Rediscovered, and I just thought. Like, Aye, it's all it's all about this. It's about getting people Everyone back in room. together. That and opening night of Lost Highway, it, and then yeah. emerging out into the cafe bar for DJ Chiba's. That's right. So yeah. it was brilliant. Yeah, no, there was a real buzz. There was a real mm. sense of festival, which I'm sure you would have had with the Forbidden Worlds. Yeah, I, I think it's just from a year of lockdown. The idea of an online film festival is something that personally doesn't appeal. Yeah. I think it's all about the theatrical experience. Mm. So for a film festival because we don't show new releases there's no reason for us to do an mm. online version our whole thing is come see these classic films or films that you've never seen before on the biggest screen in the southwest that's the, that's our usp so you know if you're just watching blade runner online it's like well mm. that's that's just watching netflix yeah and with with Cinema Rediscovered, I mean, I, I put together a programme of When Europe Made Hollywood, and in that programme I included films like Casablanca and Double Indemnity, which are kind of, they're well-known, they're well-known films. Um, and there was a really interesting mix of, of people at the festival, of industry people, um, of academics, and of audiences. And, you know, quite a few of the academics were a bit sniffy about screening Casablanca, Double Indemnity, you know, these are well-known texts that we we teach every year, you know, but you know, got to show more. Um, but the responses from audiences, yeah, as someone who'd not seen Double Indemnity until the festival, yeah. watching that on the, you know, in the cinema was yeah. a phenomenal way to see it for the first time, yeah. and yeah. you know, you provided and the platform for that to yeah. be shown. and and I think you know you you forget mm. your peril really that, um, and I think we had that discussion about um, Vim Vendors, which we did a sm small retrospective of early on the year. Um, and Wings of Desire was being reissued, and I thought, mm. not again. Yeah. Sure, surely that everybody's seen Wings of Desire. Steph said, well, I'd like to see it in the big screen. Oh, okay, give it a go. And it was our best performing film uh, mm. in the weekend that we screened it. Um, and there was a younger audience wanting to see this film. And the same with like Paris, Texas. You know, yeah. it was a packed cinema full of twenty-year-olds. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and yeah, you really do. And that's what Cinema Rediscovered. Um, I think it really demonstrated this year that there is an appetite um, and the touring programme's still going on I mean we're still the, the, the pre-code Hollywood films are out, still out there um, the when Europe made Hollywood season went to a whole load of cinemas across the UK um, and so yeah it just it felt very much that it, it, it was needed and it was back um, I, I do think that's what a lot of film festival programmers forget that there are two audiences you've got to appeal to there are your cinephiles, film historians, people mm. who care about restorations. And then there are just people that kind of want to see... Good films. Good films <laughs> and excited about. Or, or films that are given a context. And, uh, mm. you know, you, you're, 
um, you, you know, the Bad Film Club and the Forbidden Worlds. As you, as you said, there's some well-known films, but there's some less well-known yeah. films. You provide the context for those. Yes. But I was, I was kind of like your film historian sniffing at Casablanca and um, Double Indemnity. I was arguing, why are we going to show Blade Runner? Everyone shows Blade Runner. We're expected to show Blade Runner. Blade Runner, Blade Runner, blah, blah, blah. And it was just kind of like, yeah, but people will turn out to go yeah. see Blade Runner. And if you want to show Thrilling Bloody Sword, Ty, yeah. then you need to show Blade Runner. Because, of course, you need to show Blade Runner. And Blade Runner sold out. It's mm. So you need to kind of realise that if you're, whatever you're programming, you can show your, you know, selection of Iranian, you know, never foreseen <laughs> documentaries... Mm. But some people just want to come see Casablanca on the big screen because they've mm. never seen it before. Mm. Uh, and also, um, the reissues side of things, the opening, as you say, Lost Highway, um, you know, we had David Lynch, albeit a pre-recorded mm. introduction, which yeah. just worked fantastically and gave a sense of real thrill. I mean, I introduced it and I knew what the, the David Lynch was going to say and it was, it was brilliant. It was a really brilliant little um, video. And... It got the response from the audience, and then you go straight into the film, and you know what the film's going to deliver. Um, and as you say, there was such a festival buzz, um, which was great. Uh, but the real, um, a real high point for me at Cinema Rediscovered was the films of Kinyo Tanaka, the mm. Japanese um, woman director, um, who's known what as an actress, but um, she'd made a handful of films which had been restored, and we put on and closed the festival rather with um, Forever a Woman which was such an immense film from the 1950s, dealing with um, infidelity, uh, dealing with breast cancer, um, you know, um, dealing with a poet's life, uh, or aspiring poet, and um, it, r an incredible emotional experience that um, we actually did a kind of preview for industry people um, just before the festival started and the, the response to it was sobbing and I mean I knew it was going to be a real tearjerker but I thought to myself is this the film to end the festival yeah. with you know what I mean is this Coming the film crying. is this the film to end the film but it worked I mean mm. it, people just you know and it was that great thing about um, you know I didn't really I didn't know this woman had directed these films I've seen them for the first time and then we did the retrospective through August we did it in partnership with the Edinburgh Film Festival um, in the BFI South Bank and just get that sense of discovery um, and looking at the quality of the films as well was just really brilliant, a real high point for me. So yeah, festivals were, were back and it did feel like cinema's back. I know, you know, saying that I'd, I'd lost my bearings with a compass but it's refinding them and I think festivals um, and the kind of curated programmes that, that we're involved in, um, you really do feel that connection with audiences and things begin to um, pick up, and as as we uh, come towards the end of the year, um, as I said, um, there's been some, there's been a real uplift uh, in audiences. We, as we record that, we, we've really the podcast. We've had um, some great admissions for the films that I mentioned before. Banshees, doing really well. Um, uh, films like Triangle of Sadness, After Sun, which is just so brilliant that that film has performed so well at the box office. It's, just, it's, it's a relatively small, um, quiet film, um, but it's really uh, registered with audiences, which is great. It's been getting fantastic reviews. Um, as you mentioned, Thai Avatar's coming up in the commercial uh, mainstream world. It's going to be really interesting to see how that um, performs. Um, there's obviously a lot of expectations around it. 
um, I have to say I'm not at all interested. <laughs> um, I will be interested. I will. I will watch it. I'll see it. But I. I don't find myself going. Oh, I must. You know, Avatar two. I really want to. Uh, I've already booked my tickets. You, <laughs> of course you have. <laughs> of course you have. Opening night. Yeah. Showcase. I've not even watched the trailer. <laughs> Can't wait. James Cameron doing a sci-fi uh, sequel. When has that not panned out? No, I mean James Cameron is he's yeah. kind of almost bulletproof in, in, <clears throat> in many respects, and you know let's let's hope it let's hope it performs well. Um, we shall see. Yeah. Um, but the other um, uh, sort of sad news is is we come to come towards the end of the year is of course um, that that happened over the past couple of months is the closure of cinemas, yeah. and I think that um, whilst all that kind of enthusiasm that we've got um, in seeing audiences coming back. Um, there's the harsh realities out there that are still post-COVID dealing with the environment, the economic environment and everything that's going on. And the sad news, I was at the, the opening of the London Film Festival and ironically the next morning I get this email saying that um, Edinburgh International Film Festival's gone into administration along with Film House and the Belmont in Aberdeen. Um, and then subsequently Lighthouse in Wolverhampton's gone, the Kino Culture in Oswestry's going... And you know, there's a real sense of trep- the, trepidation. The bigger chains like Cineworld. Well, of course, Cineworld uh, have filed for house, exactly. filed for bankruptcy in, exactly. in America. Um, so, so it's, it's precarious. Um, and I mentioned uh, um, that you know we certainly budgeted for a kind of lower level of of um, box office. Uh, and you know, it's it's nervous. You know, it's definitely fragile environment um, out there. And I think everybody in the business is, is trying to be supportive and find ways in which, you know, we can't imagine Edinburgh without the Film House or no. the in, uh, International uh, Film Festival. It's just, it's just crazy. So I don't know, there's lots of going on in the background, but, but it is a reminder of just how, um, the, how challenging the environment is. And, and, and actually, I kind of, um, I, I, all, I find myself using the hashtag, you know, support indie films, support indie cinemas, and it, it sort of is saying, look, you know, if you if, if you value this, and I know that, I mean, I've, there's people that come here, Mark Fuller being one of them, he, he's, here, he's here all the time, and God, sure. God bless him, you know, but it is saying to people, just, you know, do use it, you know, do come, do support, do use it. It is one of those things where as soon as a cinema closed down, the community suddenly rallies around it mm. uh, to stay open, but you kind of need that support beforehand and it would be yeah i think it's almost beholden on cinemas to let their communities know that if they're in trouble they need to let people know because it's yeah. no good telling them once you've closed the doors yeah no it's too it's too it's too, it's too late it's too to, late then to open an uh, open a closed building but during covid watershed did this great thing where it's like we're not open now but we still need your support so can you mm. buy gift cards and then you can redeem when we're yeah. back open and i think that was a really great idea but uh, as well as like COVID and streaming, it's the whole cost of living situation that we all find ourselves in. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's rising cost for cinemas and it's rising cost for our customers. Yeah. So we all find ourselves in a really weird yeah. position where people are kind of like, I can't even afford to turn on the central heating. You're like, you know what you should do? Go to the Go cinema. To cinema. Yeah. So it's it's all it's such a weird nebulous state that we all kind mm. of find ourselves in, but. Mm. Yeah, no, and it's it's not going away either. So it's something that's going to it's it's going to continue through uh, next year and beyond. I'm, I'm absolutely sure. So it's just kind of managing that um, bit of a tightrope, but managing it. But but certainly when you, as we've said, I mean when you experience a film in a cinema with an audience, 
and every that whole reaction, whether it's Blackbird, whether it's uh, whether it's Lost High, whether it's you know Cass, it, the, the, you feel the you feel the the value, the experience. So on to our top five mm-hmm. of the year. Steph, shall we? Go on. I'll kick us off. Well, um, for me, um, these aren't in order, but I really loved After Sun recently. That's definitely shot to the yeah. top of my list. And similarly, another film on quite like a tackling a similar topic in terms of like parent child relationships. Um, I really loved The Quiet Girl from earlier on in the year, mm. the Irish language film. Mm. I thought it was really beautiful. Um, and it was one that I'd kind of almost forgotten about until looking back on the year and realised how much it like, meant to me at the time. And so it's mm. been quite nice to <laughs> go back through. Um, of course, Memoria, as we mentioned earlier personally loved it had an amazing time for two and a half hours sat in a meditative state um what are the best endings in cinema <sighs> yeah wonderful i would say i, I had to go back and watch it mm. a second time the following week because i thought that would have appealed to you that ending uh, time <laughs> i mean i thought that's when the film really took off uh, <laughs> literally you wanted to see uh, you wanted, <laughs> I was like, you wanted to see what's happening <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was really great because yeah. we had the conversations about cinema, uh, the partnership with UE, with a conversation mm. with some philosophers and mm. sociologists afterwards, which was really interesting, giving that more context. Um, mm. Am so I allowed to include rap? Yeah, of course you can. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I've got to put the Wenders, Wenders re-releases mm. on there. So Paris, Texas, for me is probably mm. one of my favourite films of seeing that in so you're, smu- you're smuggling was... all the vendors yeah um, yeah in, them yeah. in, okay, in under that label um, yeah. and then similarly um, one not at Watershed but that I saw at the Cube which I've not stopped banging on about since is the uh, five hour Jonas Mikus mm. <laughs> film as I was moving ahead occasionally I saw brief glimpses of beauty which is a terribly Seven. pretentious I'm title. I don't think you have too much time on your hands if you it. go see a five hour documentary and then see Memoria twice <laughs> It's yeah. I do spend in that cinephilia. That cinephilia for that's you. Cinephilia, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That was the most relaxing <laughs> afternoon I've had all wow. year. Highly recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's my my five. Mm-hmm. Great. Tonight. And Ty, I haven't picked any rep titles basically because it would just be a clash between cinema rediscovered and mm-hmm. forbidden world for the best time. Mm-hmm. But looking at my list, I've discovered it's a blend of cultural catharsis and stunning Irish vistas. So I've got uh, the Northman. I really mm. enjoyed of course, we, did, the we didn't mention the Northman. <clears throat> that, that was that was again a film that um, uh, you know would sit in that sort of middle ground yeah. of, of of crossover commercial independent art house, made for the theatrical experience. Looked yeah. stunning, yeah. Ha- had spectacle. I, I loved it. Um, the friend that I took to see it, I don't think was as enamoured mm. as I was. I thought it looked gorgeous. I loved it. Um, I thought it was great. Like you said, that it was a weird blend between mm. this is a very indie film mm. with a sixty million yeah, yeah, dollar yeah. budget. I'm completely ambitious. And I was like, <laughs> over the I love top. It. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Willem Dafoe in that was just phenomenal. Whatever he was doing is like incredible. <laughs> um, and then similarly, because I think Northman was filmed in Ireland, uh, Banshees of Inisherin. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I absolutely adored that. I loved it thought it was great and then my other two picks are both titles with uh basically communities getting a lot of cultural catharsis out of them uh the woman king and rrr oh yeah mm. yeah so and we also missed the woman king didn't mention the <laughs> woman king that the woman again king. was was uh you know incredible film again. viola davis force of nature mm. i think less 
a, a smaller budget than The Northman. Mm. And for what you got out of it, it was like, it was wonderful. Yeah. I loved it. I thought it was great fun. I thought it was an incredible cast. Um, and yeah, just a, a story and a cast that you just don't see very often on the big screen. It felt like something just really different. Mm. And then, yeah, my number one was Everything Everywhere All at Once. Or, you know, apart, <laughs> you know, aside from all the hot dog fingers and yeah. uh, multiverse shenanigans, it's just yeah. a film about a mother and daughter trying to connect. Yeah. And I thought it was great. It was wonderful to see um, Michelle Yeoh uh, mm. front and center. And I love the fact she's getting all the award buzz. Uh, the Daniels, after they did Swiss Army Man. Mm-hmm. It's like they've just got carte blanche to do whatever they want. Um, and they are adventurous. I mean, yeah. you, you know, Swiss Army Man, what a strange... And just casting <laughs> Ki Hui Kwan in yeah. a leading role for the first time since 1984. It's just great to see him mm. back on the screen again. I hope he mm. gets some award love. Yeah. Um, great, thank you. Um, now, uh, my films are uh, quieter affair. <laughs> shall we say <laughs> <laughs> that are that are that are kind of more intimate um, and about relationships, um, just like everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> <laughs> Quieter. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I found myself when I watched that everything, everywhere, just just stop it, would you? <laughs> just stop <laughs> it. One it's minute. Just yeah. Stop giving me everything. Yeah. So everywhere. Th- yeah. Exactly. <laughs> all at once. Exactly. Please. Um, so like like Steph, After Sun is is a real highlight. Um, I think it's a phenomenal film, and it's great that not just that she's a Scottish director, um, <laughs> but it's 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 a great um, uh, style of filmmaking that's so sort of resonant of um, a kind of tradition of filmmaking in in in, in the UK. But but it's, it is a, it's a, about a father and and daughter, um, and you feel the stories off elsewhere. You're trying to work out what the story is, but it's just told in such a kind of fantastic um, way. So After Sun's definitely a highlight for me. Um, again, The Quiet Girl, when I was going back, I came across The Quiet Girl and thought, yeah, that was that, that was a really powerful um, film. Um, I'm probably going to say more than five, so I, I apologise, because when I wrote the list down, I thought these have to be in here. Vortex, Gaspar Noe's Vortex. Oh, that was going to be my sixth if I'd had a sixth. Uh, it, that, that, a really um, great exploration of you, you know <coughs> uh, dementia and... Alzheimer's, um, the two characters shown on the two screens. There's a real tenderness to it and and um, brave filmmaking. Compartment number six, I really like that. I felt as though I was on that train going across the going across the Finnish Soviet uh, countryside. Master Cheng, which I really liked. Kind of cross cultural Chinese I'll chef. Watch that. Chinese yeah. chef, Sweden. Up I really in, like that. In, in Finland. Finland, yeah. yeah it's just lovely. Just lovely. Yeah, fun, yeah. Just you know, just a really warm. Lovely. Turns up and says, yeah. Your cooking's not very good in this outpost sort of place in the Finnish you know, wilderness. So you cook, I'll, I'll make some cooking and cheer everybody up. Yeah. yeah thanks very much. <laughs> um, Nitram. Uh, Justin Curzell's Nitram. Um, terrible subject matter about the mass mm. killer in, in Tasmania. Um, uh, but just an extraordinary film with an absolutely extraordinary performance from Caleb Land Jones. He's really cornered the market in playing weirdos, hasn't he? He, he does it very, very yeah. Yeah. does it very well. Um, and, and and finally, I would just give a shout out to a film that's coming up in in this month in December, um, The Silent Twins. 
Mm, um, yes. which is a kind of drama documentary-ish um, film about the, the, the twins who um, didn't speak to anybody but just communicated with themselves and ended up in a lot of trouble. But um, it's an, it's a, again, it's an extraordinary um, film, so I'm looking forward to screening that at Watershed. So thank you for your top five. There's probably more there. I'm sure there was more than five. I certainly snuck a few in. Um, uh, and hopefully, listeners, that will... Um, some you'll have seen and some you'll, you'll search out. Um, what about, finally, um, what are you looking forward to in the new year? What's coming up? Well, I'm going to dive in with a title that the three of us all saw at screening days recently up in Bradford, which is um, Mark Jenkins' new film, follow-up to Bait, um, which is Ennis Main, a Cornish folk horror, I would loosely describe it as, which I, I thought was phenomenal. Um, probably my favourite thing I've seen this year that I can't put in my list because it comes out in January, but mm. we've got Mark Jenkins, the director, here on the 7th of January for a Q&A um, with a preview, so recommend getting your tickets for that. Mm. Uh, and and something else that we all uh, saw recently is um, for me is all the beauty in the bloodshed. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, Nan Golden's documentary exposing the whole opioid um, scandal, as well as being a, a story about her, um, a, a documentary about her as as well. The film that I've not seen that I'm really looking forward to is Tar, mm. with Kate Blanchett. Um, I, I can't wait to see that. I'm really looking forward to it. What about you, Ty? Uh, with my BFI Film Audience Network hat on, um, there are a host of great indie films coming out. In February for LGBT History Month, there's Blue Jean that comes mm-hmm. out from Altitude. Uh, we're also supporting Joyland, which is uh, Pakistan's first Oscar hopeful. Um, which which they banned, banned in Pakistan, but now it's been unbanned. It's been unbanned mm, yeah. because it tells the story of essentially a... Uh, a love affair with a trans dancer um it's it's a wonderful visually striking film i'm curious to see how it does mm-hmm. and then another film that we are that comes out in march is a documentary film called fashion reimagined which uh deals with the fast fashion industry that we're all living in um how essentially so many of our clothes end up in landfills and you know clothes used to be sturdier and we used to keep them more back in the day but now just throw out however many we do each year so this looks at more sustainable fashion uh with a designer who runs the mother of pearl fashion line and her um efforts to make the industry just more environmentally aware so there's um those are coming down the line then of course i'm interested to see how ennis main does mm. and, and i uh, would also add the the fablemans actually finally with is that Spielberg next year is, or is that a christmas January. no it's next year january yeah, I, yeah. Oh. And and because uh, it's it, it's it's interesting because it's Spielberg we talked about um, James Cameron and mm. directors like that so you've got Steven Spielberg but this is a more, again a more intimate film it's not not dinosaurs or or sharks well, so is West Side it's, Story arguably yeah. and box yeah. office wise that didn't do as great um, but then, and then people discovered on streaming and it'll and be interesting it. with the film because it is about cinema as well and there's yeah. lots of in jokes and you see the origins of, of some of Spielberg's um, scenes um, in it, and, it, and it's got along with Memoria one of the best endings in, in cinema let's just leave it I there, did, let's did just leave it there. I, I will say that I think it will be one of those films that is absolutely adored by critics and cinephiles and their audiences will tend to probably not turn out for 
I well, hope I'm let's... wrong. What a depressing um, end for the. the uh, well, Ty, can I just say one thing? Go on. You are wrong. I am wrong. You are wrong. I hope you I'm will wrong. be wrong. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look, no, we are we are living in a world where a sequel to the biggest blockbuster box office film of all time could potentially not be a big hit. So yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know anymore, Mark. I don't exactly. Know anymore. The compass is spinning. The compass is spinning. So um, that's all for this podcast. Um, I hope to see you all in the cinema at some point soon. Uh, thank you very much, Ty and Steph. Thanks. Thank you.